What's happening around here? Man, you know what? It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Just to be, just to have the joy of the Lord. I know some of you are struggling with that. But it's all right. It's all right. Some of you are all worn out. You know, you need a little more cardiovascular exercise. You weren't even singing along. You're like tired from clapping. Your foot was trying to stomp. You're just like, man. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The story is, uh... oh, nice, nice, let me have one of those. You had to be here to understand that. You had to be here to understand it. All right, the story is told. A, uh, a local United Way office realized it had never received a donation from the town's most successful attorney. person in charge of contributions called the lawyer to persuade him to contribute by saying the following. Our research, sir, sir, shows that out of a yearly income of at least a half a million dollars, you have not given a penny to charity. Wouldn't you like to give back to the community in some way? The lawyer thought about it for a moment and replied, said, well, first of all, did your research also show that my mother is dying after a long illness and that her medical bills are several times her annual income? Embarrassed, United Way representative mumbled, well, no, I didn't realize. He said, well, or that my brother, a disabled veteran, is blind and confined to a wheelchair. And the stricken United Way rep began to stammer, you know, out an apology, and the lawyer interrupted her apology and said, or that my sister's husband died recently in a traffic accident and leaving her penniless with three children to support. And by now, this rep is just like thrown through a loop, you know. And the guy's feeling like he's got her up against the ropes. And, and she's like, I had no idea. And on a roll, he, he, once again, he cut her off and he said, you know what? So if I didn't give money to any of them, why should I give any to you? <laughs> you know, that, that story, <clears throat> that story is a modern day example of a man Jesus once encountered and gave a warning on the danger of being rich but foolish. If you've got your Bibles hopefully with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, where we're going to examine a problem that resulted in a warning about materialism and greed, and also a parable that revealed the danger of it. In Luke chapter 12, we pick up the account in verse 13. And we read, And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Probably one of the ugliest scenes I've ever witnessed in my life is that of a family fighting over the material possessions of a family member who had died. You know, various members of the family had gone through the house and either removed the items or had tagged them with post-its and put their name on those items they believed the deceased would have wanted them to have. If you can imagine greed in a household such as that turned a family's mutual mourning into just an outbreak of hatred. You know, in this passage of Scripture before us, we're going to examine, first of all, the problem that resulted in a warning about the sin of greed, covetousness, or materialism. Whatever word best suits you, that's what the warning is. The sin of greed, the sin of coveting, the sin of materialism in a culture such as ours is very relevant and something that we need to pay attention to. The first thing that comes to our attention is that of the request that is made by a man in the crowd in verse 13. says, And someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I thought it was fascinating as I went through and studied this that, you know, if you read the context of what has been going on is, is that Jesus had been talking about not being afraid of publicly confessing him and professing him before men. Talked about the fact, you know, don't be afraid. Go into the world and, and proclaim, as Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, and it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek for all who believe. To go into the world unashamedly telling people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through him. This past week I had an opportunity to speak at the city of Cerritos Mayor Prayer Breakfast. And, you know, and I walked in understanding and knowing that, you know, there's a certain amount of fear that takes place anytime we're more concerned about what people think of us than the purpose and the mission that God has us on. And so we stand boldly and proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name given to men under heaven by which can, men can be saved. It's all Jesus or nothing. And to be able to challenge people to consider the claims of Christ, the works of Christ, His death on the cross, His resurrection. What does that mean to you as an individual? What does it mean to the world collectively? For God so loved this world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And as we read this context, this is what Jesus had been teaching on. Don't worry about those who can kill the body, but worry about God. Fear God who can kill both the body and then send the soul to hell for all of eternity. If we're to fear anyone, we're to fear God who has ultimate control over all things. And I I want you to stop and put yourself in the crowd. And Jesus is talking about, you know, professing me before men. And there's this guy who's standing in this big multitude of people, similar to maybe what we have going on here. And you know what? And not a word that Jesus is saying is sinking into this guy's head. Because out of nowhere, he comes up with, hey, I got a question for you. It had nothing to do with the context. It had nothing to do with his sermon. It had nothing to do with his teaching. He didn't even have a question for him. What he was saying to him was that, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Talk about out of nowhere. But see, that's the way it is with selfish people. 
That's the way it is with self-centered people. It was as if he was standing in the audience and he was hearing, oh, fear, fear of God, whatever, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Are you done yet? Good. Now, let me tell you why I came here. I didn't come to listen to you. I didn't come seeking truth. I didn't come to know. I didn't even come to ask you, you know, if you would be involved in solving our problem. I didn't come to you to ask you to resolve our differences. I didn't come to you because I want to know what is the right way to handle this, the right way to conduct ourselves. I came to you to tell you what to do for me. And so many of us come to God that way, don't we? God, I'm not here to listen to you. I'm here to tell you what I want you to do for me. You know, and he said, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. He didn't hear a thing that Jesus had to say. I'm afraid that so often we come to, quote, church or to Bible study looking for what we want God to tell us. Looking for an affirmation of what we already believe. Not seeking truth. Not wanting to have clarity on things that we're confused over. You know, in his request, we learn of the danger of going to God and telling him what we want. Jesus had already told us to go to God asking, seeking, knocking. And yet he balanced that teaching by an understanding that it's not our will, but his, that we should gladly accept. Over the last several months, I've gotten wonderful cards and emails with passages of Scripture that focus on God's promises for healing. And I read the, the, the promises, by His stripes we are healed. And it's a wonderful truth, but it's out of context because it has nothing to do with physical healing. It has to do with having our soul healed, our spirit healed having us saved from the condemnation of God, having been born into this world, conceived in iniquity and in rebellion against God. By His stripes, we who believe that Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead, by His stripes, we are healed of the affliction of sin. It has nothing to do with the temporary physical healing of this life. And so we look at these, and, and they're, they're, they're wonderful passages of truth. You know, I have others that send and, and say, hey, you know what? I'm claiming Isaiah 38, 1 through 8 for you, where God extended the life of, of Hezekiah for another 15 years. And, and I said, you know what? I, I appreciate that. And I, and I appreciate the thought behind it. But I also recognize and understand that in the context of Scripture, we find clarity, we find truth, and we find the freedom that comes in knowing God intimately to where we can look at it and recognize it. I recognize that, you know what, that God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. I recognize that. And as I go to Him and I ask and I seek and I knock and I ask God to heal me. God, heal me. If, you know, I, I want to continue to serve you. I want to continue to proclaim your word. I want to continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I, it's always tempered with an attitude or a heart that says, but nevertheless, your will be done. And I understand that, you know what? God may reach more people through my death than he could ever through the entirety of my life. And so if I really believe what I say and I recognize sometimes that I'm not always sure exactly what it is that I want. 
I don't know about you, but I've prayed often, and sometimes I just get to the point of going, God, you know, I don't know anymore. I just don't. Do I really want you to use my life to reach as many people as you can for the kingdom, or do I just selfishly want to be here to spend time with my family and watch these different milestones that take place during the course of one's family life? And so, you know, that transparency and openness, that transparency, that openness with God, it's like, God, you know what? I don't even know sometimes what to ask you, but I trust that you know my heart. And better than you know my heart is the fact that you know me and you have called me, you have chosen me, you have taken me from darkness to light. And in the time that you have given me, I will proclaim the excellencies of you to all who will listen. But at the end of the day, stop and think about something. It is not God's will that every physical affliction be removed from our lives. Otherwise, we would never die physically. This is temporary. We are sojourners. We are passing through. We are strangers and aliens. This is not our home. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. And so we get so hung up on holding on to here and now that we forget that this isn't all God has for us. And I don't want to be guilty, and I hope that you don't want to be guilty of the same thing that we see in this man's life who didn't go to Jesus seeking truth or God's will. He went to Jesus to be his genie, so to speak, his servant. You tell my brother to do what I want done in our life. You know, and I want you to notice that we must always go to God with our request tempered by a nevertheless your will be done attitude. See, this man's demand revealed his heart and his motives. And as a result, he received a rebuke from Jesus. Look at verse 14. And in contrary, or, you know, contrary to what had just happened, but is a huge indication that, you know, contrary to what this guy asked for, Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Can you imagine the word of God? is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Word of God is profitable for teaching what is right. Rebuke, telling us when we're wrong. Correction, telling us how to get right. And training in righteousness, how to stay right. And here is not only the Word of God, but the very Word of God in human flesh. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the very word of God coming out of his lips. He said, man, and the word man means stranger. Stranger, think about that. He's saying to this man, you are a stranger to God. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, many will come to him one day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus said to them, you know what? I never knew you. You are a stranger to God. You are in rebellion against God. And this man's heart revealed that he was in rebellion against God because he didn't seek God's will. He sought his own way. And there's a huge difference between the two. God's people always seek God's will, not their own way. And that is honoring to God. See, he's saying, stranger, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And this is why it's so important to study scripture in context. Because some would go like this. Well, see, Jesus isn't the judge. Of humanity. That's not what it says. He's saying, in the case that you brought before me, what do I have to do with that? 
And then the word you is plural, meaning this. Who appointed me judge or arbiter over the two of you? Because you know what? No matter what I say, both of you are just rotten to the core. You're greedy, covetous, and, and, and materialistic people. And it doesn't matter what I would say in this case because it's not a question of dividing up the external assets. It's a problem that you both have in your heart. And God knows our hearts. And He reveals to us what sometimes we don't even know about ourselves. And that's why the psalmist cries out, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, please expose it. Because you know what? I could be just as blind to my sin as anybody else. It's a snare. It's a trap. It's an entanglement. It's darkness. I don't even know in my own life. God, show me if there's any sin in my life. And I'll guarantee you, you pray that prayer. He will expose anything that needs to be exposed. And then it's up to you to agree with him and confess it and repent and turn from it. He says, show me. You know, the response by Jesus in verse 15 reveals the true problem. He said, beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even one has an abundance. Does his life consist of his possessions? He says, beware, watch out, be on guard. This man wasn't seeking justice. He wasn't seeking what was right as he pretended externally. He was guilty of greed. And Jesus just called it the way it is. And I love that about the word of God. When you go to the Word of God and you say, Lord, show me what I am blind to in my life, get ready to start taking notes and then act upon it appropriately because God knows our heart. And he didn't have a problem calling sin, sin. He wasn't politically correct. He wasn't concerned what the crowd had to say. He was more concerned with the souls of humanity because he recognized that eternity was was in the balance. See, we need more people who will preach the Word of God who just call sin, sin, and truth, truth. Whether people want to hear it or not really isn't the issue. It's what we're called. We have been entrusted with with the mysteries of the knowledge of God. And the Word of God is truth. Sanctify us and set us apart in your truth, O God. That's why if you come here, we're going to preach the Word of God. We're going to open the Word of God and we're going to hear what God has to say. And it's as painful for me as it is for you. And I'll tell you right, right now because God beats me up before I even get here. That's why I got joy in the Lord, because he took care of me earlier in the week. <laughs> so that's why when you walk out, I got a smile on my face while you're just walking out all beat up. <laughs> but that's all right. You know what? A few more days and you'll be fine as long as you repent, you know, and you trust God and you do what God says to do. You know, he says, be, unform- be, be aware or, or on guard against every form of greed. The word greed is sometimes translated covetousness. It means the lust to have more than one's fair share. A boundless grasping after more. It describes a person who lives in perpetual transgression of the Tenth Commandment that says, Thou shalt not covet. You know, the book of Proverbs views greed as the dividing line between righteous and evil people. For example, Proverbs 21, 26 says, All day long he craves for more. Who? The unrighteous person. But the righteous give without sparing. I want you to notice the contrast is, A coveting person, a materialistic person, a greedy person can't get enough. On the other side, God's people can't give enough. Interesting, isn't it? One can't get enough. The other can't give enough. The Apostle Paul repeatedly condemned greed when he said, But among you, speaking of God's people, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Ephesians 
to the Ephesian elders, he proclaimed, he said, I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. To the Colossians, he said, put to death, therefore, whatever things belong to their earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. See, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded when I was young and coveted my neighbor's dirt bike. And here God brought a dirt bike and it's sitting out there reminding me of the sins of my youth. And I thought, man, if I have that dirt bike, you know, I'd be pretty cool. If I had that dirt bike, my life would be fulfilled. The emptiness, the void, the hollowness in my life. If I had the dirt bike, you know, I would be satisfied and content. You know, if I only had the dirt bike. And yet the word of God is very clear. You know, it doesn't really matter what you try to fill that void in your life. The reality of it is, is that, you know, when we covet you know, think about this. I, I don't know, you know, or, or maybe that, then there was a time where I was coveting Chuck Taylor high top, can, you know, Converse tennis shoes. And it wasn't just the shoes, it was the multicolored laces that my friends had. And I was thinking, man, you know, if we could just get that, life would be fulfilled and there'd be meaning and purpose in the universe. Now, you know, you laugh at me, but some of you are sitting here today, you know, convicted right now by the Spirit of God because you were just talking about how you wish you had your neighbor's house or their car or their clothes, you know, or, you know, the warning of coveting your neighbor's spouse that, you know, if my wife was only like her, if my husband was only like him, you know, or their education or their children or their physical appearance or their bank account or their vacation home or their boat or their spiritual gift, you know, so we can keep sin spiritual. You know, but we're to be on guard against every form of greed. You know, why is such greed and coveting a waste of, you know, precious time and energy? Because here's what Jesus has to say. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. See, the word life is the word zoe, not bios. Biology is the study of life. Well, the word that is used here is zoe. And it has to do with the meaning of true life and abundant life and eternal life is found outside of material possessions. It is found in the recognition of one's sinfulness to repent from sin. To respond by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ, trusting in His death and His resurrection, receiving Him as your Lord and your Savior. And then we are born again by the will of God, not by our own human efforts. It's not something we work for. It's not something that we can buy with, a, with possessions that we obtain. You know, he said, even if you have the abundance, even if you have everything this world has to offer but you have not recognized your own sin and you have not repented and turned from sin and turned to God, if you have not bent a knee before the cross and trusted in Christ's death and His resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, you have not received Him as Lord and Savior, you can have everything this world has to offer and not have life. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not physical life. We all have physical life. But there are those who are walking around physically alive and dead spiritually to God. And because of that, they have nothing, though they may have everything the world has to offer. They may have been able to obtain everything they ever sought to obtain and meet every goal that they ever shot for. They may have all the money they ever wanted and the position and the education and and all the material possessions of the world. And what Jesus says clearly is, and you know what? And if you don't have God's forgiveness, you have nothing. Because when you are facing your death, none of that will matter. The boat, the bike, the clothes, the cars, the bank account, nothing will matter. Delay the inevitable day that is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Don't misunderstand. Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. All judgment has been given to him by the Father. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord God to the glory of God. We need to recognize and understand that we will all be accountable before God. And all the possessions of this life will not give you abundance of life. You know, when you look at this, you know, our minds, you know, we get off track sometimes. And we need to get refocused. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe upon Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. A quality of life that is realized here and now and fulfilled in eternity. When you trust in Christ, you have life eternal the moment that you trust in Him. You have peace with God through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I ask you today as you've come here, do you have that kind of life? Oh, you may be living the good life, but it doesn't compare to the God life. There's nothing like it. Only God can do it. The second thing that's pointed out is that there's a a parable. To punctuate his teaching in this text, there's a parable that revealed the danger of greed and materialism. And according to Jesus, greed is dangerous for four reasons. The first is found in verses 16 through 18. And he told them a parable saying the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. You know, the rich man was a farmer, but he represents all human beings who are seduced by all kinds of greed. You know, whether you're a statesman or a craftsman or a peasant or a laborer, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a secretary, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a truck driver, whatever it is that God has allowed you and blessed you with the talent and the abilities to do, the bottom line of all of that is this man represents all of humanity. And what's interesting is, is that he had come by his wealth honestly, like so many of us. He didn't cheat. He didn't cheat to get his fields. He didn't devour widows' homes. He wasn't an abuser of his employees. You know, and God blessed him materially for what he had done. And there's a balance there that we see all throughout Scripture. You know, everything that comes, all good gifts come from, from God above. But at the same time, he tells us that we are to work hard, heartily as under the Lord, for it's the Lord God whom we serve. And that God honors a work ethic that we see all found throughout Scripture. And so there's a balance that's always there. But as we look at this and recognize it, there was, there was one thing that was missing in his life. 
And he said that greed is, is dangerous because it results in personal pride. You know, he was saying basically this, I worked hard. You know, it was my efforts, it was my talent, it was my wise investments, it was my, you know, intellectual capabilities. You know, his pride is evident in the aggressive personal pronouns that we find all throughout here and the, re- and the, and the foundation of it. The biggest problem that he had is that he reasoned to himself. I want you to notice, he never went to God. God, what should I do with this abundance that you have blessed me with? There was never once any, any thought of, you know, giving to somebody else, meeting the needs of other people. God, why did you give me what you give me? Why have you blessed me the way you blessed me? He reasoned to himself. You know why? Because he didn't want to know what God had to say. That's why we always reason with ourselves. That's why we always go to ourselves for our own counsel. Because we already know what we want to do. All we need to do is convince ourselves, talk ourselves into it. Occasionally we may go outside of that little circle. And we'll ask those who we think will tell us what we want to hear. And if they tell us what we don't want to hear, then we'll say, gee, that's amazing how stupid they got over the last, you know, whatever period of time. And we go to the next person until we find that person and persons who tell us what we want to hear. He reasoned to himself. It was the same thing that Solomon was guilty of in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon said, so I said to myself, come now, test myself with pleasure. And so I did this, that, and the other thing. Well, you know, he never went to God. This man was guilty of pride. He was talking to himself. And what he was saying to himself was this, you know, you sure impress me. You know, he's talking to himself in the third person. You don't think that's true? Look in verse 20. He says, hey, you, you know, or in verse 19, he said, soul, you have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He was going off on himself saying, hey, you know what? You're, you're something else. Now, don't, don't let me break my hand or arm trying to pat myself on the back. And so God exposes this. You know, we have personal responsibility in working, but at the same time, the Word of God clearly teaches us that, you know what, we're not to be bragging about anything that we've ever done because anything that we can do is because of God's hand in our life. You know, the Apostle Paul says, For who regards you as superior? Or what do you have that you did not receive? But if you received it, why do you boast as if you've not received it? The guy who says, you know what, it's because of my intellect that I'm able to invest money and make a ton of money. God says to you, listen, the only reason you can even do that is because I've given you the brains and capacity to do it. The athlete who goes out in the field says, man, you know what, I worked hard. I deserve and earn everything that I've got. God says to him, you know what, or her, listen, you couldn't run, jump, shoot, swing a bat, throw a ball. You couldn't do any of that unless I had first given you the talent to do it. You have a responsibility to use it for my purposes and my glory and for my kingdom. But never forget and understand, though you may work hard, I get all the glory in your life. We are to praise God, not ourselves. This man was full of himself. I mean, you circle how many times he says, I, my, me, mine, you. It's unbelievable. And I guess the warning is, don't be full of yourself. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be full of yourself. Listen, you know what? Even spiritual gifts that people brag about. 1 Corinthians 12. You know what? Unless God has given us the gift, we can't even exercise it for His glory. I can't teach the Word of God unless God's gifted me to do it. So He gets all the praise. You can't sing songs of praise and worship to God unless He's given you the voice to do it. So He gets all the praise. May we never forget that. This man did. And he was guilty before God. You know, and, and, and somebody say, but wait a minute. What's wrong with building new barns? 
Well, nothing was wrong with building barns. There may be wisdom in that. All I'm saying is he never asked God what God wanted him to do. And that's where his fault lies. He never trusted in God. He says the danger was that there was no thought of sharing or giving or stewardship. There was no understanding of Scripture that says, work heartily as unto the Lord, for it's the Lord God whom we serve. You know, those of us who work, work hard so that we may have to give to those who are in need. See, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit goes before destruction. And you ask, how does that happen? Well, pride inevitably leads to selfish pursuits. Look at verse 19. And he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy was so self-absorbed that his pursuit was present tense, eat, drink, and be merry. Let me just warn some of us who are at a position in life where we're thinking about retiring. This is the only passage in Scripture that deals with retirement and the man is rebuked for his foolishness. You can slow down. You can do different things. But we are not to retire this side of eternity. We will find our rest in the fullness of His presence and His joy. We will find our rest there. But until then, we have got to use every bit of energy God gives us to reach the world with the Word of God. Until then, we may set aside those vocations, occupations, or other things where we made a livelihood for our families and the resources to use for God. But you know what? Some of you people are getting lazy. Some of you people are buying into a lie. Some of you people are thinking that, you know what? You're thinking just like this guy. You know what? I've earned a right to take it easy, to go on this trip and that trip and another trip. And nowhere in your thought process any longer is serving God. I'm just here to warn you, to share truth with you. And you may not like anything I just said, but frankly, you know me better by now. I don't care. (laughs) Because we've got to have a sense of urgency to redeem this time wisely for the kingdom of God. Don't buy into, beware of every form of greed and covetousness and materialism. You ask yourselves and ask of God, God, where am I falling short of your expectation to serve you in my life? Get me back on track. Get me back on focus. I've bought into the lie. Forgive me. Now, let's say you can't take a vacation. You know, some of you go to extreme. It's like, wait, take a vacation. You know, I didn't say that. But a vacation is a break from something else. You know, some of you are serving once or twice as a break from your vacations because you're worn out from taking it easy. All I'm saying is, be a pig for Jesus and take a break when you get a little bit tired. But we're here to serve Him. There's no such thing as retirement in Scripture. It's called departure. Spelled different. The reality of it is, is that, you know, when we look at this, the pride led to selfish pursuits. I've worked hard all my life. I've earned the right. We're going to do this because we've always said we'd do it. And God, don't get in our way. 
Don't ask of us of anything. Don't, don't demand of our time. And don't demand of those resources. Because we saved this money for this purpose. And don't try to convict me that you want us to use it for something else. Because it's not negotiable. Let me know how that all turns out for you. <laughs> the third thing and the reason that greed is dangerous is because it mixes up our priorities. Notice this. He says, but God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Now who's going to go around running around putting post-its on your stuff? You know, you fool. You know, that's not a commendation. That's a condemnation. Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That was wrong with this man. He did not look at life through the lenses of God's viewpoint. He never went to God. He never sought after God. He never sought Him out. He never sought truth. He never sought meaning and purpose other than what He wanted to do in His life with the things that He had. And Jesus said, you fool. You fool. This man was a fool because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom. And those who do not fear God live a foolish existence. Do you fear God? If you do then everything that He's given us, every talent, every ability, all the resources, every, every dime that God gives you, you will ask Him, how do you want me to use what you have blessed me with for your kingdom, for your purposes, and for your glory? I know what my will is. My sin nature says, eat, drink, and be merry. Take it easy. But you know what? The condemnation in Corinthians was, that was for a world that doesn't believe in God. If God, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry because then we're going to die. Might as well just live life to the fullest. He's saying if that was the case, which it's not. He's saying because we have an accountability to God, we must go to God and seek His wisdom and seek an understanding of why we are here and the purposes in which He's blessed us and how He wants us to use our resources. And it should be the, the, the greatest struggle that we have in our life. God, what do you want me to do with the gifts that you have given me? Not only spiritual gifts, physical gifts, material gifts, uh, monetary gifts. What do you want me to do? Because I am afraid to do anything other than how you lead. That is the best place to be in life. It's the only place to be in life. The story is told of a conversation between a young and ambitious lad and an older man who had a better handle on life. And the young man was telling him what his game plan was. And I couldn't help think of that as we're at our daughter's graduation in Arizona this week. And just looking down there and thinking of all those people and thinking of what all their plans are. He says, you know, I, I, here's what I'm going to do with this young man. He said, I'm going to learn a trade. And the old man said, then what? He goes, then I'm going to set up a business. And then what are you going to do? He says, then I'm going to make a fortune. And the old man said, and then what? And then he goes, I suppose I shall grow old and retire and live all my money on, on, on that money. And, and the older man looked at him with a smile on his face and says, and then what? He goes, and then what? He goes, oh, I guess suppose that someday I'll die. He said, that's right. And then what? And then what? The fool lives life with no understanding of our accountability before God. God's people aren't foolish people. We recognize we're accountable. There's a day that's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Each one of us will give an account as believers for how we lived our life. Not for sin because Jesus paid the price for our sin. But for how we lived our lives subsequent to faith in Christ for the purpose of being rewarded by a faithful God.
what kind of reward do you have stored up in heaven? Jesus said, don't store up your treasures here on earth where rust and moth destroy and where thieves go in to steal. But you people, God's people, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They're in God's hands. They're well protected. They're in safekeeping. Peter said, man, what's in it for us? Jesus said, there isn't anything that you give up in this life that won't be returned to you a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. I see what you're doing. I see your sacrifice on my part. I see your heart. I see your motives. I'll reward you for that. Don't grow weary in doing what is right. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work in the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain. See, and that leads to Jesus' fourth and final reason that greed is dangerous because it results in spiritual poverty. Notice in verse 21. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is what that person has to look forward to. Jesus, the wisdom of God, says that all of us who are selfish before God are spiritually bankrupt as well. Every person that has no consideration for God, it's just an indication of a heart that has not been born again. Every, every, every one of God's people here in this audience today are hearing these words The Spirit of God living within us convicts us of where we're falling short. And we struggle with that. The person who doesn't know God sits out there and makes excuses for their disobedience and says, you know what, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he thinks he's doing. But you know what, he can't tell me because you know what, I'm my own God. I'm the captain of my own ship. No one, including God, will ever tell me what to do. And to you I say, with great love, and instruction, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. Those who do so this side of eternity will enjoy the abundance of life that Jesus came to bring. Those who do the same at the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment of Christ, it'll be the last thing that you do before God casts you into hell for all of eternity. But the choice is yours. Choose wisely. See, when we look at this, you know, this is not an indictment against material possessions because there are many wealthy people in Scripture, Abraham, Job, Joseph of Arimathea, the women who ministered after Jesus, and on and on it went. But you know what? God commends them in His Word that they were, what? Rich towards God. They were not selfish in any way. They didn't live to please themselves. They lived to please God, and they used the resources that God had trusted them with to do so. Some of you say, but you know what? I don't have any extra. I just don't have any extra to give God. And let me tell you a little secret about God. You don't have any extra because he knows you can't handle what you have. And so he can't trust you with more because you're not doing much with what he's given you. Yeah, it's just the truth. He who's faithful in little, I'll make him faithful in much. And so the challenge is that very simple, we need to recognize and understand that we need to become more generous to God. Self-exam, do it on your own before God. Ask yourself this, as I grow in my faith, am I becoming more generous towards God or more generous towards myself? Now it's a math problem, but it's an easy math problem. And for some of you who have just done your taxes, it's very easy. What you do is take the amount of income that God has blessed you with, 
take the amount that you have given to the Lord's work and divide that amount by this income and you'll have a percentage. Do it over the last five years, ten years, I don't know, when you came to faith in Christ. Do it throughout the course of your Christian walk. And then just put a little graph or a chart. What's the percentage? Well, the percentage better have been getting higher than lower. Because if it gets lower, you're becoming more generous towards yourself. If it gets higher, we're becoming rich towards God. Very simple. But some of us don't like that. Because it's too real. It's too truthful. It's too convicting. In a church in the deep south, the preacher was moving toward the end of his sermon, and I was reminded of this. I was going to get up and share this right after your song, but I thought I'd wait until it was the right time to do it. But uh, not that that always matters with me, but today it did. So, but, uh, but anyway, so he's getting up toward the end of his sermon with this growing crescendo. He said, this church, like the crippled man, has got to get up and walk. And the congregation all responded, that's right, preach it, brother, let it walk. And he added, this church, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, has got to run. And they all said, let it run, brother, let it run. This church has got to get up and mount wings like eagles and fly. And they all said, let it fly, preacher, let it fly. And then he added, now if this church is going to fly, it's going to take money. They all shouted out, let it walk, brother, let it walk. (laughs) That's what we're like, isn't it? That's what it were like. You know, we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not pigs for Jesus. We're, we're really, we're chickens for Jesus. We are. We don't trust him. We, you know, if we did, we would give. And realize that the more we gave, the more he'd trust us and the more we'd have to give and give and give and give and give. Some of you people are, are unbelievably and wonderfully blessed and you're generous And God has provided property for us because of that. God is providing money to be able to build. And yet, I want to challenge those of you who don't trust God to take a step of faith. And this isn't some hidden message to try to get you to give more. Because you know what? God will provide all of our needs. And God loves cheerful givers. This is for your benefit in your walk with God. That you learn to trust God in the little things. Trust Him and give. And give and give and give and give and give. And be aware of every form of greed that says take and take and take and take. God loves a cheerful giver. This man was guilty of the sin of greed. And unless he repents, unless you repent, God can never bless your life. He's come to give us life and give it abundantly. You are being robbed of the life that God has for you because you are not trusting him in every area of life. Let's pray. Father, we just, uh, we love you. And we want to be rich towards you because you did not hold anything back from us. You who gave us your very own son so that we can find forgiveness in him. How much more so should we give to you? You tell us that we have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And that we are to glorify you in these earthly bodies. 
God, may we not be conformed to this world that is a greedy, self-centered, selfish world. May we never be like the man in the opening story who said, you know, and if I didn't give to any of them, why would I give to you? God, may we become generous people. May we recognize that everything we have is a gift from you. You've given us the ability to acquire the things that we have for the purpose of using them for your glory and for your purposes, for your kingdom's sake. God, help us to work hard so that we may have an abundance so that we can meet the needs of those around us. I thank you for those who are generous and have been giving faithfully to your church for the property that you have brought forward because of their generosity, for the building that will be built, for the gospel that will be preached, for the CDs and the tapes that have gone out throughout the world, 20-some thousand that are reaching people with your word because of the generosity of your people, for our missionaries who are all over the world as well, preaching that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. They're not ashamed of the gospel. They're boldly speaking out for your name's sake because there is no other way that men can be reconciled to a holy and righteous God other than through Christ, his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection. God, may we become more generous, realizing that if today was the day required of our soul, would we be foolish or wise in how we've both invested our time and the resources materially that you have given us? God, we pray that you will multiply, as you say in your word, that you will multiply the gifts that we receive so that we can use them to further the gospel. And Lord, may we have that sense of urgency and may we encourage one another all the more as we see the day of your return drawing near and all God's people said, Amen. Dan, as we close.